It's Dr. Stu's podcast at drstu'spodcast.com. Do that sound again. Now, uh, I, do you have to um, do you have to uh, hold yourself in a certain way to make that sound come out? <laughs> no, but I have to grab a certain part of my. You, it's like a Michael Jackson thing, isn't Woo-hoo! it? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> One of those, I thought. Okay, here we are once again. It's so great to spend some time with you on Doctor Stu's podcast. This is historic podcast number eighty-four. Now they are all, of course, uh, on the website on iTunes. Subscribe to iTunes so you never miss an episode of Dr. Stu's podcast. And if you just found the podcast because maybe a colleague, maybe a fellow mom, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a boyfriend, maybe a husband, maybe maybe your wife said, hey, I want you to listen into what I've been listening into. This guy named Dr. Stu, he's got this doofus who sits with him, Brian, and they talk about stuff that's happening uh, in the home birthing world. The most professional doofus in the entire world. <laughs> it re- But doofus nonetheless. It really is an interesting show. This is a <laughs> Podcasts are special because podcasts, unlike traditional broadcast radio, you really can take 40 minutes like we will today, 35 minutes, and focus on a particular issue and really get under the hood as we have over the course of 84 shows and really explore, in this case, home birthing. Or we could ramble on and talk about uh, whatever comes to mind. And we do so that sometimes, too. that's the beauty too. of uh, uh, a podcast that has my name on it. That's it. Doctor do whatever I want. Podcast. We talk about uh, birth outside of the hospital. But before we go any further today, I want to welcome on, be- on behalf of the United States of America. I'd like to welcome you back to the greatest nation in human history. They let me in and uh, it is great to be back at the professional studios of our great producer, Randy. Where'd your vacation? Where'd you go? We, uh, the kids and I, we went to Scotland. Ooh, how nice. And we had a wonderful time. We spent 11, almost 12 days in Scotland and Ooh. then toured around and, and uh, we saw some historical sites and we drank some whiskey mm. and we went to St. Andrews, uh, the famous uh, port city where the golf tournament's going to be in a week or two. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, the British Open happens to be in St. Andrews this year, so we got to see them setting up for it. Two questions. Did you, um, you said 12 days. Is 12 days... Yes, we had whiskey every day, if that's what you're asking. That's not what I was asking, but thank you for offering. Is 12 days enough time to see Scotland? Uh, No, it's never enough time to see Scotland, but Scotland is a country that is small enough that you can get a a random sampling of it in 12 days. It's not like going to Australia for 12 days or going to, you know, coming to Canada for 12 days. I mean, you're... It's a, it's a small country. It's about the size, I suppose, of... I think it's smaller than Minnesota. I'd like to go because I am part Scott. You know, I'm English, Dutch, and Scottish. You'd love it. It's, it, it's very green, and we actually got lucky. We had very good weather. It was the summer solstice, so it was getting dark about 11, 20, 11, 30 at night. Did you get some of those nice springtime summer rains? Just a, one day, we actually took the kids on the Hogwarts Express, uh, which is a train that runs from Fort William up uh, about two hours north. Forgive me, based on Harry Potter? Yeah, it's the train that you see in Harry Potter that that you see it going over the aqueduct and the flying car comes in. And, you know, we saw all that. We didn't see the flying car, but we saw the aqueduct. <laughs> and uh, uh, we took the train for two hours and then we drove. Uh, our, we had a driver pick us up and take us back. You know, the, one of the fun things about being there was that uh, the drinking age, of course, is 18 in, uh, right, in uh, right, right. England. It's actually less than that if you're having dinner. So my daughter, who's 18 years old, uh, had a field day and we had a really fun time. I mean, it was about 95 percent 
Magnificent Time and 5% Family, so you know how that goes. <laughs> I have to say, one of the things I admire about you personally, you're my friend and I love you, and professionally, uh, you do a great service. You allow women the option, uh, this is a huge thing, and we'll talk more about it, to have their babies outside of a hospital setting, to have it at home so that most special day is remembered, uh, not with hospital tubes and things like that, but remembered in a very special way. But you and your bond with your family, Dr. Stu, is special because it seems like maybe it was a year ago that you were off doing a skiing trip with your family. Do you and is it healthy uh, for moms and dads? You do it. So I would assume it's healthy to plot out and plan, even if it's once a year, a week, 10 days, two week vacation that is family only. Well, I'm not an expert in that, Brian. I would tell you from my from my point of view, it's extremely valuable. It's extremely rewarding. And I think anything that, you know, is rewarding is something that is beneficial to your health in long term, uh, both short term and long term. Uh, some people don't like their family and they don't want to spend <laughs> a lot of time with their family. So but I, I'll tell you that family is the only thing that actually is always there and always consistent and therefore it's something that if you don't like your family then you probably should try to fix that do you have those tender and, moments and, and you know do you learn anything you have those tender oh, moments i'll tell you one of the one of the moments i remember uh distinctly was uh we, after we finished in scotland we took the train down from edinburgh down to london is that a quick drive it's four and a half hours it's a ride on I the train say, right yeah and it was fun it was you know we were riding through the english countryside which of course is very pretty and there's you know, lots of sheep and, and sheep and sheep. cows and sheep. and But they feed you. Right. Well, and then some pigs, but some, mainly some sheep. They feed you on that and, train, right? Uh, oh, yeah. No, no. It's, got a, it's a... you First class. They, have a, they come around and deliver to you if you Great. want it. Or you can go to the food car. It, you know, it's... The, the rail, rail in Europe, as everybody knows who's traveled in Europe, is sort of much more sophisticated than... And it's not like taking the metro here in Los Angeles. No, that's why Governor Jerry Brown says, hey, let's sort of mimic what they do in Europe and get some trains that actually are luxurious and high speed and get you where you want to go, and it doesn't take forever to get there. But, but, but now, I, now I, there you go, Brian. But okay? I digress. I digress. Not too many people want to go between Bakersfield and Merced. Okay? <laughs> not like going between Edinburgh and London. Right. But I didn't want to interrupt your what so, sounded like a nice story. The anecdote was that... You know, I'd been to London several times before, but my kids had never been there before. Actually, one of them had, but my daughter had never been there before. So on our first day after we, uh, the first morning that we got up in London, we, we took the tube from our hotel over to the Westminster Station. We were going to go to Westminster Abbey and um, tour the Abbey. I had never been there. And of course, when you come out of the Westminster Station, it's right next to Parliament. And the first thing you see when you come out of Westminster Station, right in front of you, looming unbelievably uh, larger than life is Big Ben. Yeah, how beautiful. And it's just right there, and it's that beautiful beige-colored building, which is very... Uh gothic in its design and which needs a lot of work because it's leaking when i was on our norwegian cruise we took with our morning answer listeners i do a morning radio show here in los angeles we took a cruise and one morning very quickly dr Stu, i'm watching one of the many channels on cable because i have trouble sleeping and it's four o'clock in the morning and it was a day we didn't have the show so i'm up and i'm watching and it was all about those beautiful gothic structures and they centered in the piece in the documentary uh, basically on the one guy that repairs falls back on you know he's the guy who's got to walk the property and say, okay, we got cracks in paint here. We got some leaks here. We got buckets collecting so, water here. So he's the broken tile guy. He sort you, of you is. Know, you, know what, you know what I mean by the broken tile guy? I don't. Broken tile guy is like a guy, if, say you go to the Sistine Chapel. If you or I were to look up at the Sistine Chapel, we would see God reaching out, touching Adam, and you'd see all the beautiful paintings. 
The broken tile person is the person who walks in there and says, oh, it smells funny in here. Or, oh, there's cracks in the ceiling. Right. Or, you know, that sort of thing. And, and it never sees the good because they always find the bad. For instance, for instance... Uh, He's hired for his critical eye. Yeah, if, if, you, if, you, if you give a lecture or something like that, people come to you and say, that was a great lecture. Thank you very much. I learned a lot. And somebody else says, I don't like when the way you use the word um, allowed. Yeah, we you, allowed you allow a woman to give birth. That's, that's a bad word. You shouldn't use that word. And it's like, there's a broken tile person. <laughs> so, so you had a great time in well, Scotland. Well, I, I, I just want to finish the anecdote. So we walk out. So there's Big Ben. And my daughter, you know, who's only seen Big Ben in, you know, in the movies you know, some aerial shots, and, you know, she says, oh, my God, Dad, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I, I, I'm speechless. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I thought it was just a clock. God bless her. That's great. Right. And so for, for the rest of her life and, and then my boy's life, too, every time they see a movie or something historical or read a book or anything about London or Scotland, it's, it's going to jump out of the pages at them because they've seen that. On the way home in the airplane, you know, we had a 12-hour, 11-hour plane ride, I happened to watch, uh, I'd never seen it before, but uh, there's a TV series on stars called Outlander. I've seen it once or twice. Yeah, and it's about a woman who goes back in time to 1743 Scotland. And I was mesmerized. I watched eight episodes of it on the airplane <laughs> home because it was all about where I just was. And so it was really, it changed my whole perspective. And I helped my kids. And that all I can do is give your kids the opportunity. You can't control what they do. I mean, there was a, there was a, lot, of, there was a lot of texting and a lot of... Uh, eyes down into their uh, phones and not looking out the train window but, but they're kids can't fix that so no, you can't fix goes. that but 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 uh through your hard work and your resources you're able to make available to them the opportunity to th to see these historic wonders i have to ask you uh let's not call the segue police on me but i do have to ask you because you went to scotland uh, ireland and 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 you traversed about there and it sounded like uh was it a 10-day trip in total uh, 16. 16. Wow, that's a lot of time. So I'm inclined to ask you, you know, when we focus on these uh, Western European countries and you see what's going on there, no doubt, you know, once a doctor, always a doctor, you're Dr. Stu. You're the, uh, you know, you're the, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're the at-home doctor. You're having doctor. a hard time coming up with a description. No, <laughs> no, you're the doctor who, who, who assists and catches babies at home. So I would imagine it would be impossible for me if I went to Europe I would turn on the radio and listen to what they're doing. So not that you can go and have a Q&A with any doctor you feel, but, um, but uh, did you learn, did you know before the trip, did you learn during the trip, uh, do you feel uh, comfortable comparing sort of the, uh, the, the system, the, the medical establishment system that is available to women who are having babies in countries like Scotland or Ireland compared to the contemporary model that we have here in the United States? Can we learn something from them? Yes, we can. And, and it's interesting that you should ask me that, Brian, because I didn't even tell you this, but just a week prior to, uh, before leaving to Scotland. Oh, yeah, I, re I read mine. I know you were. I can see that. You're like, I've got to be careful. What, what am I thinking about right now? An in and out double double, <laughs> animal style. Am I close? Yeah, with right. what, with a diet coke and no ice. Right? Yeah, okay, all right. right. I nailed it. No, um, uh, about a week before the, the we went on the vacation, uh, there was the uh, the world premiere of our of Doctor Berlin's and Mel Kennedy Morrow's documentary uh, called Heads Up, 
the disappearing art of breach delivery. Dr. Elliot Berlin has been a guest on this uh, Dr. Stu's podcast. I invite you to scroll back on iTunes or the website and look for the episode that Dr. Elliot Berlin appears on. He yeah. is a fascinating subject, and the conversation we had with him was fascinating, as I recall. Right, and the title of that podcast was The Importance of Being Elliot, which mm. I think was <laughs> right. which one of our clever titles. We we um, So that movie was out there, and then I had the good fortune, when I was in London, I'd set it up beforehand, uh, I hosted a uh, event at my hotel for uh, the the London area midwives, mm-hmm. and we had about twenty midwives that came, and we had a screening of the film, and then we sat around for about an hour and a half afterwards and just talked about healthcare in England, and we talked about the the breach deliveries because it's sort of a breach delivery group. It's called Breach Birth UK, and um, uh, the f- very famous, well known uh, educator and midwife Jane Evans was there. And we talked about healthcare in England. And, you know, England is doing things a lot differently than us because they have national health care, national health system. And one of the things they promoted is that that they, and again, I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not that accurate about this because I don't know the details. But sure. in general, the, it's not the health service that said this, but one organization has said that for low risk women, they should stay home. And they should be taken care of by midwives at home. Like, this is the this is the state saying. That. Yeah, like I mean, you never hear that in the United States. Like here in the U.S., uh, Doctor Stu, are the women as desirous or more desirous in in Ireland and Scotland and Western European countries in that continent on that continent? Are they more desirous, less desirous, or about the same in learning more about the options uh, that we all agree they should have when it comes time for them to become moms in terms of where they deliver their babies, how they deliver their babies, the environment, the vibe that's happening when the baby is born? Well, I think like women anywhere, it runs the whole spectrum of people who, who want the epidural the minute they walk in the door versus the people who want the natural home birthing. I think that that runs uh, through the whole gamut. But I do believe that women in England and, again, probably Scotland, it's, they are different countries and they do, they do treat people. Uh, there are different systems there. But I do believe that they are more aware of the options. They're more aware that home birthing to them or birthing without epidural anesthesia for them is not as strange or as, as uh, unusual as people in the United States might think about it. For instance, I, I, I just when I got back, I did two home, uh, I assisted two women with home deliveries, and I went to do a postpartum visit on one of them last night, and he was telling me the story about how, and he's actually good friends with Ricky Lake, who, who, who inspired him. He's the partner of the woman who, who gave birth. Yeah, he didn't give birth. Right. No, no, I understand that, but, but he's conveying to you some of what he's noticed and, about his partner. And what he's telling me is that everybody he knows told him that they're crazy. Mm told them that you know they that the it's dangerous that they wouldn't want to do it that what happens if this happens what happens if that happens and again i think they mean well but they don't they don't understand that that at some point you have to let these drone people make their own decision and if you disagree with that decision keep it to yourself you know there's a difference and and we've had this conversation uh on the radio with a lot of the uh very uh certainly more controversial stories that 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 have that have come up lately it, it, it's worth throwing it out there and i'm going to throw it out there to you i'm going to say two words and i'm going to get your reaction here doctors do i love this when we have conversations <laughs> okay. like this because um uh, whether it be home birthing and the decision 
to have your baby in the hospital or outside of the hospital. Outside of the hospital can be at your home. It can be in water. There is a difference when people have when when people choose a method or choose a choose a plan that is different from what you're familiar with or with what you're comfortable with. Two words come to mind. There's acceptance and there's tolerance of differences. In your experience with home birthing, you have clearly, I'm sure, encountered and had to think about the difference between acceptance and tolerance. Because acceptance, you probably don't stay up late at night praying for acceptance, but you probably pray in your quiet thoughts and want and reflect for tolerance of the decision that adult men and women make, specifically ladies, women make, about the birth of their child. Tolerance is important. Well, I think no one wants to upset the people that, that they care about in their environment. Um, but, but birthing is a very personal decision and really... Uh, People and you know people have very narrow and limited viewpoints of it because for two or three generations in America we've never been we haven't been exposed to alternatives. Everybody goes to the hospital and everybody gets an epidural and you know you you know anybody who wants pain and labor is barbaric and old fashioned and should be off in the you know in the brush giving birth in the you know in the wild and and that's you know that's sort of the impression that you get for the majority of people um, who who birth in in our country. And so when somebody does something different, uh, yeah, you'd love to have people who are accepting of what you're doing. You'd love to people who are supportive of what you're doing. Uh, Tolerance is sort of like, I don't really like the tone of the word tolerance because, you know, it's like, I have to tolerate that person. Better than intolerance, isn't it? Well, yeah, if you can't be accepting and supportive, you should probably just be quiet. And I, and I, and I think that... I love you. I think that... The to- <laughs> really, this is not something where you need to express your opinion. As a matter of fact, your opinion is probably detrimental to it. I mean, if, if some woman is, is, cuts her hair in a certain way and she really likes it, are you gonna Are you gonna say something if you don't like it? Are I'm you, reminded of my mom. If you ha- Brian, if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. Right. Or just say something supportive like, God, I hope the birth goes really well. I'm really excited for you guys. Fudge it. Anything, yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't believe it. You know, if you don't like, you know, the old proverbial thing for the for the guy when the woman says, honey, how do I look in this dress? Great. Yeah. You look great. That's it. Right. You know, if you say fine, you're in trouble. So you got to say great or you got to say because fine. The women hate the word fine. And what happens uh, in your own experience, Dr. Stu? Do, do, you, do you give your age? I know you're in your 50s. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'll be 59 in a couple weeks. Okay, happy birthday's coming. Thank you very much. Uh, question: uh, Because uh, how do I look in this dress? Fa- <laughs> the answer from the you man- would you would look awful. The an- I'm just telling you. you right now. The answer from the man. <laughs> Anybody who knows you would say that. Too. The answer <laughs> fine from the man yes. does open the proverbial floodgates for a litany of follow up questions. Yeah. Fine. What do you mean by fine? Right, you know, fine, fine, right. fine. So, w- what stops it in its tracks? Great, great, yeah. sto- great stops that conversation in its tracks. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could just say great. I mean, how do you feel? How do you think you look? Oh, that's a tough one because <laughs> you're a doctor. You know, so you're a doctor. Oh, I got into an argument with a friend a couple of weeks ago. He's an attorney. And you're listen. You're asking a professed bachelor how how we talk <laughs> how to talk to women about that sort of thing. And you know what? 
It doesn't work so good that way. For well, you me, know, so. it's a, you know people do you know great people of great. Uh, accomplishments and achievements, and you are, you're a doctor, you're, you're an OBGYN, you have great achievements and great accomplishments. I'm reminded of a friend of mine about a month ago who on the telephone, I got into a little spat with, and not a fight, a little argument over something silly. And I won't say his name. Uh, let's say his name is Stu. That's not his name. It <laughs> okay. was not you. It's not his name. And I said to him, you know, I used his profession against him, which is, you know, people do that to me. People say things to me like, oh, Brian, I'm not on your radio show now. Please don't debate me like I'm on your radio show. You know, and that pisses me off. But um, I did say to my friend who's an attorney after he hit me with a, a couple of important points and uh, I responded, I said, uh, again, uh, let's call him Stu. I said, uh, uh, Stu, are, are, are we done with the cross-examination? Yeah. Are, are you done with that? He, he didn't like that. No, he no like he's that an attorney, and he thought, oh, you little wise guy, shut up. No, I'm not done with my cross-examination. I have a few more questions for you. Well, that, you know, that's, the way to make, <laughs> that's a way to make people stop the conversation, and, and that's a different subject than you know, how, what to say. But I, I, think, I think that you, if, if a, a couple wants to have their baby the way they want to have their baby, and you think that these, these friends of yours or these relatives of yours are intelligent people and somehow they got to this point in life where they've owned a house and they're they've got careers they can make these own decisions for themselves you need to be supportive of their decision whether you whether you agree or not and, and if they ask you for your opinion that's a different story but please don't give unsolicited advice we it, have it is, it is not well it is it is not constructive Ever. We have here on Dr. Stu's podcast, we're up to podcast number 84 again. If you're just finding it for the first time, welcome. This is a wonderful podcast. You can hear it right here on the main page, Dr. Stu's podcast, or you can go to iTunes and you can get the uh, schedule. Oh, you can get the schedule uh, or, or you'll get an update rather uh, and you can subscribe and you'll get uh, kind of an update. Uh, you'll know whenever there's a new whenever there's a new podcast of Dr. Stu's podcast dot com. And uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot of links on the website, Stu. There's a lot of links. I mean, there's a lot of links on Dr. Stu's podcast dot com. Uh, there's a lot of reading. If folks want to read writings that you've offered, it's all right there on the page, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on, on Dr. Stu's podcast is linked to my Birthing Instincts website. It's also linked to my Facebook page, the Dr. Stuart Fishbein OBGYN Facebook page, which I have to say is is really taken off in the last couple of days because we've had we uh, you know I have a person Renee who does who listens to the podcast and sure. then helps us come up with titles for the podcast. We love Renee. Post the podcast. Um, Randy, do you love Renee? Love her so much. Okay, right. As long as Randy loves Renee, we all love. <laughs> they Renee. had a little little uh, web hosting issue this week, but oh. we actually got Renee. Just so you're listening, we got that all fixed up. Got right? it all fixed. We got it resolved. Renee, hey. Renee does all the work that I don't have to do. That's correct. Renee is the best. Renee is. Uh, you know, you have. You really have. I, I'll tell you <laughs> something. You, know, you uh, It's interesting. All great movements, all great movements, whether they're social or civil in nature or humanitarian in nature, all great movements begin. Uh, with relative, with relatively a small number of people advocating for it. Now, you've been running around for a while uh, talking about home birth, birthing outside the hospital, and uh, you have lamented time and time again, we do the podcast from Southern California, how few in terms of other physicians there are available to do home birthing. But this, uh, this ought not discourage anyone. Great movements like this, uh, great paradigm shifts uh, to a world when, when, uh, 
in hospital birthing and out of hospital birthing is viewed as almost equal. Well, that takes generation and generations yes. and years and time. But in the meantime, in the beginning, you can always trace back. I'm not overstating it, but if you went back to the revolution, our founding fathers, there's a small, rather small nucleus of people who buy into the theory and the premise and the change early on. Yeah, and we also, Brian, we also have to deal with these issues in the times in which we live, okay? I mean, uh, to take a, a fairly controversial issue because of the whole Confederate flag thing that's in the news right now, you know, people are still angry because there were slaveholders and the founding fathers were slaveholders and stuff like that, but you have to realize that at as horrible as that was, everywhere in the world at that time was where there were slaveholders. So it, it, you have to look at the issues that there were at that time. We we look back on that and, and we think how horrible that was and how foolish that was. I can guarantee you 100 years from now, people are going to look back on what we're doing right now in medicine or in obstetrics or whatever, and they're going to, they're going to think, what idiots. What will it be? What will be? I appreciate that. What will be if we had to uh, isolate it to one or oh, two? I, I, I have, let, 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 let me okay. ask you. If we go forward a century and we're in a class, we're in medical school in a century, and we're all alive miraculously, or, or we're 20 years old, 25 years old in, in medical school uh, in in uh, 2115 and we look back what do you think dr stew serious question if you need a moment to think of the answer that's fine i can patter and tap dance <laughs> i can roll out my uh, i can do some stuff here i can do sleight of hand and do some magic work for you uh what is quite seriously what are the one or two most glaring examples of what we do now today july 2015 that 100 years from now that a century from now would be looked back upon as crazy unbelievable horrifying can't believe that was the mo can't believe that well, Brian, was the status quo in, in just a little narrow field that i'm involved with obstetrics i mean i look back 30 years ago when i first started in this whole thing and i look back at some of the things we did and already in 30 years those things are, are ridiculously stupid we used to give women enemas before they had a baby we used to shave their pubic hair before they had a baby we used to wash out their vaginas with iodine before they had a baby okay we we treated giving birth as a like as a as like brain surgery completely sterile fields we cut episiotomies on everybody the idea then forgive me layperson the layperson's lay question the idea there with the iodine and the full scrubbing and cleaning that, that birth is a that birth is it needs to be a sterile procedure okay. it's exactly the opposite but this is what was thought just 30 40 years ago i would say 100 years from now we're going to look back and say i can't believe we were doing a c-section on one third of all women i can't believe we were having women give birth uh, on their backs with their legs up uh I mean, these are simple things that I that I see. Uh, I can't believe that we had uh, mothers and babies separated uh, at, after birth. You told that phenomenal story, I'll never forget, of a call you got on your cell phone from a client who had given birth, and you said, congratulations, you know, and it was, you know, five, ten minutes after she'd given birth, and you said, Dr. Stu, uh, you said to her, oh, congratulations, you know, it's wonderful. How are the babies? And she responded to you and said, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen them. I haven't held them. Right. Oh, that's right. It was twins, I think, and she had a C-section. And you, as I remember the story, flipped out. Right. Right. You flipped out. Right. And you said to her, what do you mean you haven't seen? You tell the story better than I do. You haven't seen the babies? 
Yeah, I believe that. I believe the story was that she may have given birth slightly prematurely, and the babies were up in the NICU, and and she was she was told she couldn't go up there because there was nobody to bring her a wheelchair or something of that nature. Yeah, that was. And it. I said, I said, just put your slippers on and go upstairs. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Right, and the fact I is do. that no no one no no uh, staff member no volunteer no administrator like. Just said, listen, you're welcome. Come up anytime. Is it possible? Be up there. You should, you know what? We're going to go down and get you. We're going to bring you up here. I mean, it's, th- a, it's uh, important. Uh, I know it's crazy to you. Is it possible they thought that, but just didn't care because they have so much going on and figured if she's willing to sit here for 15 more minutes and wait for her babies, uh, let's just let her sit here and cool her jets. Oh, I, I, I can't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to venture to say that. Right. I would tell you that it's something that just sort of gets lost in the shuffle. It should be the of primary importance. But it's way down, uh, uh, way far down the totem pole. When a woman gives birth in a hospital, and when you've got you know doctors and nurses and uh, other folks there, would you describe uh, looking back when when you used to? I mean, you've been at this thirty years. When you did deliver babies in the hospital, uh, the traditional way, as it was called, uh, were the, were the rooms, were the delivery rooms? As you look back, were they doctors too? understaffed were they overstaffed were there people standing around with not much to do what was the vibe there i mean well the problem with labor and delivery is that it's it's not predictable so so you know you have enough they have enough staff for like 15 people in labor and sometimes there would be 25 people in labor and sometimes there would be two people in labor so the answer to your question is all of the above and sometimes they were overstaffed, sometimes they were understaffed. And you never knew until you got into it. No, because, you know, I think I told the story once before that the only time you knew when it was going to be dead, especially when we were at County Hospital. In terms of not a lot of... Not uh, a lot of people in yeah, labor would right. be when Fernando Valenzuela was pitching, all right? <laughs> then then the, the husbands would not bring the wives to the hospital. And then after the game was over, you, they would, the, the, you could see them dropping their wives off in the parking lot to come up to labor and delivery. So we knew it was going to get busy after the Dodger game was over and Fernando had finished pitching. Okay, okay. Interesting. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, I, I know, and, is, and I'm surprised. True. Those were the early 80s. Really, there were husbands or, or boyfriends or partners in the early 80s who would say to a woman, you know, hold it. You, you, you just They probably wouldn't down. even talk to them. It's a cultural thing. It was, you know, it was a, a Hispanic... Uh, cultural thing. I That's mean, terrible. I, yeah, I mean, the, the I'm not men, here to the judge men. cultures. I think all cultures are wonderful, and all cultures are not so wonderful. There's a, it's a mixed bag. No, in I every know. No, I'm just saying that the that in the Hispanic community, yeah. especially the non-English speaking Hispanic community, the, the men do the men things, and the women are the ones involved with the birthing. So the women usually come to the hospital, and the men are nowhere to be seen. Um, it, that's changing, and I'm sure it's changing, but but for the better. Well. It depends on what point of view you have. I mean, I think that that there are people who believe that men should have no business mm-hmm. being around mm-hmm. preg- uh, laboring women. Right. And, I'll, and I'll tell you why, because I, I can see that puzzled look on your face. And I want to I read something. I'm glad you described for the listener the puzzled look on yeah, my well, face. Well, I want to read something first. That this, is a, this is a meme that, was my, that my lovely Renee posted on my website, and and for whatever reason in the last, it's been there three days, and for whatever the reason, it seems to be really catching on because it's been reached by 45,280 people, which for my website is, ama- is amazingly a large number. And it has 461 likes at this very time. And it says here, I want to change, the, this is my quote, by the way, I want to change the next generation of obstetricians. I want them to learn the skills they need to attend births vaginally and understand that across all mammals, when mothers are anxious, starved, or immobilized, 
labor is automatically dysfunctional. Mm. The reason I brought that up is because there are people who believe, like other mammals, any no other mammal that's in labor, is there a male anywhere around? Anywhere. The males are either not with the herd or they're off doing their solitary you know, the lone elephant or the lone, they're, they're off. You've said that before. They go off in a group of other men, other or, males. Or, or they go off by themselves. Or, or if it's like a, a, a troop of, uh, say, chimpanzees, there's the dominant male and all the females. And the, the females will, will give the sacred space to the female in labor, whether it's female cows, female sheep, female chimpanzees, it doesn't matter. The female will labor by herself, but there's no males around. And if I suppose a male came close, the other females would probably chase them off. Right. So... Nature, nature does not design, and even like polar bears, they give, the female goes into a den and gives birth in the den, and then she has to actually protect her cubs the next spring from some predatory male who might want to kill the cubs. So, again, we're, we're obviously evolved beyond that point, but my mentor and, and everyone knows Michelle Odont, he has very interesting ideas. Sometimes they're a little far out there. Uh, even for those of us in the home birthing world. And one of the things he thinks is that, is that males probably shouldn't be involved. Now, we don't agree with that at all. And I, those two births I attended this week, the husbands were unbelievable. I want to shout out to David and Michael because they were unbelievably supportive and, 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 and tears in their eyes. And, and participatory. Participatory, you know, uh, helping to deliver the babies, helping to uh, support their wives' backs or rub their backs or hold it or you know or, or whatever or then skin to skin afterwards when mom had to get up and go to the bathroom and the baby would go from from mom's chest to dad's chest it's wonderful yeah this is you know so that we we're different than than uh, chimpanzees or cows but there is something to be said for trusting how nature designed birth over uh, uh over thousands and thousands if not millions of years uh for mammals to do it and again do it sort of by themselves without any sort of distraction and that gets us back to that whole discussion about you know the the birthing in England and the whole idea of doing it home birthing and then the hospitals doing it differently and we need to re-educate and that's one of the missions of this podcast and my you know my website in general is to re-educate people on the idea that birth is is wellness and not illness if right? you've just found the podcast a uh, very important dr stews podcast.com if you've just found the podcast this is podcast number 84 go back there all there all the way to number one go back to podcast number one and th- and, and and reflect on on how much better we've we've become uh 84 podcasts later and you can subscribe on itunes you can listen right off the website here at dr stews podcast.com you can subscribe on iTunes. Wait, I, I hear music. Yeah, we're up at about, uh, we're almost That there. was 35 minutes? We're about 34 minutes right now, my oh friend. Oh my God. You can, the time flies when you're talking Australia. That producer, Randy, oh, no. that producer Randy is on the job. Scotland, not Australia. I got it Scotland, wrong. Scotland. Did you say Australia? I said Australia. Well, it's a British, it's a British, uh, you oh, mentioned, I got it wrong too. You, I mentioned, I <laughs> you mentioned, Scotland is very free. <laughs> They're very proud of their uh, fact that they are Scott. I think at one British. point a half hour ago in your description, you mentioned Australia, so I've had Australia in my mind. So go to yes. uh, iTunes and you'll get an update, sort of an alert, so you never miss a future episode of Dr. Stu's podcast. We encourage you, uh, if you enjoy, learn from Dr. Stu's podcast. If it's entertaining to you, share it, tweet it out. Uh, put it on your website, uh, put it on your Facebook page, get it out there so others, uh, moms in your life, girlfriends in your life, and, and men in your life, uh, new parents, people who be new parents, can check out Dr. Stu's podcast and learn about 
Uh, options. Just say options. Options. Learn about options. Right. Learn about options. If you have an email for Dr. Stu, he tries to answer them all personally. Ask Stu at gmail.com. Coming up on the next podcast, which is podcast number 85, we have a major announcement. Major announcement. In the world of Dr. Stu, a major announcement. All no, right. it's not that. No, it's a pretty big deal. No, I'm, I'm not changing my sex. No, it's not that, right? Okay. Uh, Caitlin Fishbein <laughs> will join us on the next uh, <laughs> Dr. Stu's podcast. Oh, we, even, we even talked over the music. We ran out of music. I'm Brian Whitman. Oh, my God. Dr. Stu, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.